now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Diabetes affects one out of every nine Americans. Our next guest says the way we treat the disease needs to change. He's Gary Taubes, author of Rethinking Diabetes, What Science Reveals About Diet, Insulin, and Successful Treatments. Gary, you believe the experts on diabetes are on the wrong path, and you say it all began 102 years ago. What happened then? Okay, well, research at the University of Toronto discovered the hormone insulin. There are two types of diabetes. There's an acute form that's a deficiency of this insulin, and it's very quickly fatal without therapy, and it strikes mostly children and adolescents. And then there's a chronic form that associates with obesity and age and is a disorder called insulin resistant. But in 1921, these physicians at the University of Toronto purified insulin from pancreases and they used it to treat a 13-year-old with type 1 diabetes who was so near death his father had to carry him to his hospital bed and this essentially brought him back to life, revived him. Since then, a disease that is an inability to, in effect, process the carbohydrate content of the diets we eat, so it is directly related to sort of how we eat and what we eat, has been perceived as a disease that's best treated by drugs. First insulin, and then these what are called oral hypoglycemic agents, pills you could take that lower your blood sugar, and now there's a whole new generation of these wonder drugs, Ozempic and Wagovi, that work by different mechanisms. And if you're diagnosed with diabetes today, you will have a better prognosis than ever before in history. But your doctor will still tell you, if they're being honest, it's a chronic progressive disease that's only going to get worse. Yeah, but you say it is not a progressive chronic disorder. So what is it if it's not that? Well, there are two ways to treat this disorder. You want to control your blood sugar. That's the fundamental goal here. And you can control your blood sugar by taking these drugs, beginning with insulin in 1921. And it will not make you healthy, but it will delay and mitigate the poor health that you're experiencing. Or you can use diet to control your blood sugar. And as soon as you do that, now you're working into a world of sort of controversy about fad diets and what people will or will not eat and what's healthy and what's not. Let's talk about that. What role in diabetes does the food industry play in all this? Well, we're experiencing epidemic levels of diabetes. So by that I mean, for instance, in the United States in 1960, when the first surveys were really being done, maybe 2 million Americans were diagnosed with diabetes. And today that number is 30 million and another 8 to 9 million have the disorder but don't know it yet. So one in nine Americans have a disease that was in effect vanishingly rare 200 years ago. So that's a problem, and something's driving that. And one explanation is we just eat too much. The diabetes epidemic has gone up coincident with an obesity epidemic, and obesity and type 2 diabetes are closely associated. So one explanation is we eat too much, another is the food industry creates all these ultra-processed foods that we can't say no to. Uh, An explanation that I explored in my book, The Case Against Sugar, in 2016 is that it's sugar particularly and maybe sugary beverages 
that sort of trigger this disease in populations. And then once you've got it, the predisposition can be passed on through the womb in this process called fetal programming. But you can blame the food industry. I am more interested in the science and the problems that arose when physicians think they can do medical science as opposed to just treating patients, which is what you have in this hundred-year history since insulin was discovered. Our guest is Gary Taubes, author of Rethinking Diabetes, What Science Reveals About Diet, Insulin, and Successful Treatments. Gary, you're not a physician. Do you expect to get resistance from the medical community from your views in this book? Yeah, and I should. <laughs> Anytime a journalist comes along, and not only I'm not a physician, and I do not live with a diabetes diagnosis myself. So nobody likes it when an outsider comes along and says, look, I've looked into what you're doing and it looks like some terrible mistakes were made and I'd like to talk to you about it. That's true everywhere in life. It's true for me (laughs) as well. So yeah, I will get an enormous amount of resistance. Actually, the worst case scenario is that the diabetes community doesn't pay attention, that they say, you know, well, we don't really care what a journalist has to say about this. The counter-argument is that, like I said, we have this epidemic. What I didn't say is it's extraordinarily expensive. One in every four health dollars spent in America is spent on diabetes and its complications over a billion dollars a day. Where is all the money going, $400 billion a year, on uh, the cost of the diabetes epidemic? Where's that money going? That's the problem. It, it goes to the physicians who treat it, the clinics who treat it, the nurses, the diabetes educators, the pharmaceutical companies and device manufacturers. So it's, on one level, very good business for the medical establishment. The problem is it's the patient and the insurance companies that are paying out the money, and that's unsustainable. And then the patients are not getting the treatment. These treatments are not making them healthy. Can I tell you a story? Sure. The one that sort of crystallized everything for me. This was a chef who became a journalist. He was diagnosed about eight years ago, seven, eight years ago with type 1 diabetes. And like anyone who's diagnosed with a chronic disease or a disease, he's got no preconceptions. He's suddenly thrown into this world of diabetes and he's being educated by his physician who wants to give him the best possible care. And his physician says to him, look, you've got this disorder where you can no longer metabolize the carbohydrate content of the diet safely because you don't make enough insulin anymore. So we're going to give you insulin therapy. We're going to tell you to eat a set amount of carbohydrates every day at every meal and at snacks, and then we're going to give you insulin therapy to control your blood sugar, which got to cover the carbohydrates. And this fellow says to his doctor, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, what you're saying is because of my disease, carbohydrates are now poison to me, and I should eat the poison and take the antidote. Why don't I just not eat the poison? And he said his doctor, you know, never sort of thought of it. The doctor just wanted to make him better. This young man just wanted to be as healthy as possible. That's the sort of trade-off we're talking about. The conventional thinking that the diabetes community never tested, they just kind of grandfathered in, is eat the poison, take the antidote. We've got you covered. And if the antidote has side effects or eating the poison has side effects, we've got antidotes for those. 
or just don't eat the poison. Right. Now, what they might say is a patient diagnosed with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes today can expect to survive and be healthy longer than any time before in history. Doesn't that show that they're doing it the right way? It shows that they're doing something right, but it doesn't show you that they're serving their patients best. Ultimately, the argument I'm making in this book, it says, look, we've come to realize that, as was argued in the 19th century by the leading diabetes specialists in the world, patients can thrive on diets without carbohydrates in them. They can do perfectly well living on protein and fat. There's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Finally, beginning in the 21st century, clinical trials started being done to test that hypothesis, and it so far panned out in every trial, effectively every trial that's ever been done, and there are now well over 100. So what I'm trying to get the diabetes community to rethink is their approach to the disease. When patients come in, the physician and the educators really should have a profound understanding of both these approaches the eat the toxin, take the antidote approach, and the don't eat the toxin approach. What would you say to someone listening who perhaps has diabetes or knows someone who does have it? Obviously, you'd want them to read your book, but what would be some of the steps they might consider taking? Talk to their physician and their diabetes educator, their endocrinologist, depending on who they're seeing about this alternative approach. If their physician doesn't understand it, try to convince them to do the necessary reading to do it. The world is full now of these sort of low-carbohydrate. When people talk about keto diets or Atkins, it's ultimately the kind of dietary approach that we're talking about. We're still living in a sort of 1960s-level discussion about these disorders when significant amounts of research have been done showing the effects. So, ideally... Try to get your physicians to make the effort to understand this. And that would be, I hate to say this, buying my book and giving it to your doctor. Because they're the ones who really need it. And once they understand it, then they can help their patients. The book is Rethinking Diabetes, What Science Reveals About Diet, Insulin, and Successful Treatments. And the author is Gary Taubes. Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.